Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, December 23rd, and this is your FT News Briefing. Financial conditions in the U.S. remain historically loose, despite the Federal Reserve pulling back on its pandemic stimulus. And U.S. equity markets surged this year, but a handful of stocks did most of the work. Plus, who came up with the metaverse? Tech companies are sinking billions into something that comes from an early 90s sci-fi novel by Neal Stephenson. Um, But he was quoted somewhere saying that he was just making stuff up. Um, So we don't really know how it ended up being taken so seriously by tech companies. We'll look at how science fiction shapes how we think and how we feel about robots. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The Federal Reserve may be pulling back from its pandemic stimulus measures to try and battle inflation, but financial conditions in the U.S., like corporate borrowing costs, are still near their loosest on record. After last week's Fed meeting, there's been only a marginal tightening, according to Goldman Sachs. It's still really easy for companies to list on public markets and tap lenders for new credit. This shows the extraordinary levels of cash sloshing around the global financial system, meaning there's no shortage of cash available for further deal-making. This year, the S&P 500 hit record high after record high. So you might think the stock market is in great shape, right? Well, peel back those layers, and things are not as solid as they may look. The FT's U.S. markets editor, Eric Platt, reminds us that the S&P, the NASDAQ, and other indices are not monolithic. There was one fascinating day um, just over two weeks ago where the S&P 500 dropped, I think it was about 2%. And on the same day, Apple, the largest member of the S&P 500, it has more influence over this index than any other stock, actually rose 3%. And so that dispersion has been really quite great uh, and really unusual given kind of all the big macro drivers you have in the market at this minute. So Eric, are the S&P and the NASDAQ bad indicators? Are they misleading in terms of how the broader market is doing? It's not that it's not a good indicator, right? Because otherwise what you'd have to be doing would be really looking at the individual performance every day of every single stock. And that is a just quite a laborious task, right? The problem is there are times when you do see this concentration and you do see these indices and the stocks underneath move in different directions. And I should say that's not always a bad thing, right? Sometimes it makes a lot of sense if, you know, you've got financial stocks and energy stocks are really trailing, but, you know, consumers and transport and industrial stocks are rallying. And hopefully at least more than half of the index is rallying, which would make it, you know, move higher. But if you have just been looking at the S&P 500 this year, you missed a lot. Eric Platt is the FT's U.S. markets editor. This year, a new word exploded into the mainstream. Metaverse. Companies like Facebook are spending billions to build virtual worlds where people can live online and use services as avatars. Facebook even changed its corporate name to Meta. And all this got our European technology correspondent, Madamita Mergia, thinking about where this word comes from. She joins me now. Hey, Madu. Hey, hey, Mark. So where does this word metaverse come from? 
So I found out that the word metaverse was actually coined or the term was coined in Snow Crash, a science fiction novel by Neil Stevenson from back in 1992. Um, It's funny because I was looking up why he created this because he's inspired so many tech luminaries like Jeff Bezos. Um, But he was quoted somewhere saying that he was just making stuff up. Um, so, you know, we don't really know how it's been ended up being taken so seriously by tech companies, but it did originally come out of his novel. So in this new technology frontier, Facebook and Microsoft are pouring billions of dollars into developing. It came from a work of fiction. <laughs> but I guess I, I, it doesn't feel surprising, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. It it Because the whole idea feels really fictional and like, you know, as if we're talking about living in a video game. But they are taking it really seriously. And and as you said, you know, Facebook is putting in tens of billions of dollars into this. Um, and even Microsoft, which is far more staid and kind of more practical in, in kind of how it does business, they've already integrated a form of this into Teams, which is, you know, their work communication and productivity software. So this is happening, but the the question is kind of how quickly it's going to be adopted. So, Madhu, you and I have been talking about how fiction affects technology, but it also affects popular perceptions of technology, especially when it comes to artificial intelligence. What did you learn about that? Yeah, I thought this was really interesting because I uh, had a conversation with a researcher called Kanta Dihal. She's at Cambridge and she runs a program called AI Narratives, looking at this in all different cultures. And most of the research shows that attitudes in the West towards um, futuristic technology, particularly AI, it mostly just comes from a few science fiction films, primarily The Terminator. I'll be back this kind of Frankenstein monster taking over the world. And it also shapes our sort of fear of these robots and our kind of fear of humanity being stamped out by them. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. And then there's Hal, the robot in 2001 A Space Odyssey who ends up turning against humans. Um, So, like, robots are just kind of really bad folk. Well, exactly. And also and also the fact that, you know, that once they become conscious and intelligent, then by necessity, they destroy the human race. That's just kind of a narrative that crops up again and again. Now, we should point out that this is in the West, or at least in the U.S. You know, you pointed out in your article that Japan has a very different relationship with robots. And you wrote about classic science fiction animation series in Japan that, that really shifted attitudes in a very different way. Um, there were two animated series, Astro Boy and Doraemon. Um, and both of these were extremely popular and have influenced many generations of Japanese people's views. Welcome to the world, Astro. Astro Boy was a little android happily living alongside humans and Doraemon was a, was a cat. These are just like much more sort of cutesy images. Dr. O'Shea was right. He is amazing. The narratives were you know, of these characters helping humans, saving humans. And that's sort of impacted on how people see AI as something that can help them. So what about China? Uh, What kind of influence has science fiction there had on attitudes among Chinese people? Um, And, you know, how is it different from the West and Japan? 
Um, it's really fascinating. So, you know, I did get interested because there is just such a powerful culture and pervasive culture of advanced technology now in China. And the, the kind of way of life is so infused with the digital world. So I was really curious about how their attitudes have been impacted. And I spoke with um, Chen Qufan, who is a um, well-known science fiction writer who's kind of come up over the last few years. And he said, historically, you know, Chinese attitudes were just influenced by Western pop culture and Western sci-fi. And he himself grew up, you know, reading Philip K. Dick and and so on. But this new wave of, of science fiction writers are really focusing on the social issues that have come out from this kind of pervasive surveillance culture in China, particularly from private companies, you know, where things like WeChat, you're just constantly using it for everything from food delivery to education to transport. You made an interesting point in your article that entrepreneurs often take ideas from science fiction writers, but not their warnings. What did you mean by that? I think it's really interesting, the disconnect that I found talking to writers and then looking at what is being said in the real business world by business leaders. Really, a lot of the science fiction, like, for example, even if we look at Snow Crash, and then when I was talking to Chen about his work, there is a sense of dystopia, there is a sense of a kind of undertone of warning about the the direction in which we're moving as humanity you know none of this it's not you know celebratory and positive about we're all going to live in this virtual world and it's going to be great there are warnings in there about what this means for humanity and and how we're going to lose the core of who we are yet that's completely missing i thought from the conversation that we're having in the in the real world marimita mergia is the ft's european tech correspondent thanks madu thank you Before we go, this Saturday, Christmas Day, the most ambitious telescope ever built is set to be fired into space. The $10 billion James Webb Space Telescope has been three decades in the making. It'll be shot into orbit four times further than the moon is from Earth. And it'll take pictures of the very first stars and galaxies formed in the cosmic dawn. That's about 200 million years after the Big Bang. Let's see what science fiction writers make of that. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. We're taking the rest of 2021 off. We want to thank you for making this a hell of a year for us. Happy holidays, and we'll catch you in 2022. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Jess Smith. We had help this week from Joanna Gao, George Drake Jr., Peter Barber, and Gavin Coleman. Our executive producer is Topher Forges. Cheryl Bromley is the FT's global head of audio, and our theme song is by Metaphor Music. We also want to give a special shout out to Michael Bruning. You never hear his voice, but he's edited scripts for this podcast since day one. He's unfortunately leaving the Financial Times and will be sorely missed. Thank you, Michael, and best wishes from all of us. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. 
What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.